Well, for the last uh, month or so, you've been sending in questions that we've been calling FAQs or frequently asked questions. And, and uh, some of you have sent some very good ones, and some of you sent some not so good ones. And uh, before I get started today on the message for the day, I want to address uh, one particular question. And let me just, on the Battle Creek campus, ask you if you would, if there are seats beside you, would you slide in and uh, leave all these empty seats on the aisles so that the people that are still coming in uh, can find a seat. That would be greatly appreciated. So the question that I've gotten over and over and over again uh, over the last few weeks and uh, last few months is, hey, Pastor, what's the deal with the name change? And so I just want to address that. And I, I want to answer that question uh, corporately rather than doing that over and over again. And I want you to have an answer to that question. If you get asked, that, how many of you have been asked that question? Anybody? Okay, several of you have been asked that question. So I, I want to address it. When we decided to launch other campuses, we discovered a couple of things. Number one, that no one outside of the first campus really understands or knows where or what Battle Creek is. And, and the second thing is that we needed a unifying name for all of our campuses. And so when that was the case, where did we go? We went to the Word of God. And so we went to the Word and we looked at the Word. Now, backstory: if we rewind, when we started the church 10 years ago, nobody believed we were going to make it as a church. And nobody knew who we were or where we were. And so when we decided to uh, give the church a name, uh, we said, let's be the church at Battle Creek because maybe somebody knows about the golf course. And somebody knows about the six or seven or eight neighborhoods around here. And maybe there'll be some geographic attachment uh, to that church that meets around that golf course in all those neighborhoods. But what happened over 10 years is that quite honestly, we became Battle Creek, not the church at Battle Creek. It got shortened to Battle Creek and we were just known as Battle Creek Church. And some people called it Battle Creek and would add a denomination to it and all that. But we've been called all kinds of things and worse. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that we gave the name and, and we kind of, now people say the Battle Creek, golf, oh, by the church. And so Battle Creek has become known as, as this area, the church that meets in this area. That didn't make any sense to call the church Battle Creek at Midtown or, or Battle Creek at wherever <clears throat> because Battle Creek is a neighborhood. And so we decided to look at Scripture and we went to Scripture. And ever since the book of Acts, listen, the only identifying mark of individual and local churches was location. Half the books of the New Testament are written to local churches. You got the church at Galatia, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church, and just on and on and on, right? In Revelation, you got the church at Laodicea, you got the church at Rome. All, the, the only identifying mark was the location. It was the church. And, and the church, quite honestly, is people. So we basically said, let's be a domain, let's create a domain that is a parent name that when people want to go to the website, they can find it. And so we decided the church.at. So the church.at is a domain name. Okay, that's what all we're directing people to is to a web page. Today, <clears throat> we are the church at Battle Creek and we are the church at Midtown. And I believe one day we'll be the church in Jinx and the church in Owasso and the church in Cairo and the church, wherever God leads us and wherever he takes us, that's where we'll be the church. And so this is a great statement for you to, you know, think through. Wherever we are, that's where we're at. <laughs> and so we are the church at wherever we are. Yesterday, I was the church at a funeral, Right. Today, after church, I'll be the church at Charlie's Chicken or wherever we decide to go eat lunch. We'll be there wherever we are. Why? Because the church is people. 
The church has never been about bricks and mortar. The church has never been about a location or a building. The church has always been the body of Christ. And listen to me, the church is the only bride of Christ. The church is the only hope of the world. The church is the only ones that Jesus died for. The church is the only one that Jesus is coming back for. We are a part of the church. And so for you to take that out and and misconstrue it and say, well, they think they're the church, you're just stupid. And quite honestly, I hate that. And I wrestled with that for, for a long, 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 long time. In fact, we fought about this for a year. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It looks arrogant. And so we, we intentionally put the word D in very small, little, unintentional font in an intentional way. And the church in big letters. And let me just say this to you. If you know anything about me or about this place or about the thousands of people that make up this faith family, you know, we don't believe we're the church. We're very, very grateful to be a part of what God has been doing, is doing, and will be doing in Tulsa, America, and all over the world. And the truth of the matter is, is you and I live, are born, live a very small portion of time, and then we die. And quite honestly, it's non-consequential in the history of the world and the history of the church. But the truth of the matter is, is God chose to let us live. And there's a dash in between our birth and our death that is our lifespan. And God knows it. And he numbered it. And quite honestly, he picked the days and he picked the time that you and I would live in. And and I know we're not going to make a significant impact on the history of the world and maybe the future of the world, but we are called by God to make a significant impact in the lives of people and take them with us into eternity. The people we coexist with in that dash, we are to point to Jesus. And the only hope of doing that is the church. And so I love answering that question. Because I know the answer. And a lot of questions we got in, I quite honestly, I read it, I thought, man, I need help on that one. And, and we need to go look for answers and we need to, you know, go to the Word and look for it. And I like getting questions that I can answer because, you know, it makes you feel like maybe you're an authority on something. But the truth of the matter is, is this is the authority. And, and as we deal with this set of questions in this series, let me just say to you, it appears that when we ask questions, we want something out of the answer right? And that we want something from that answer. First of all, we want it to be one answer. It'd be really frustrating if I got up here and gave you a multiple choice, you know, set of answers, right? For every question that we, that we dealt with, but some of them, that's really what I would hope to do. I'm not going to, but it would be a whole lot easier for me to say, here's this side, here's this side, y'all decide. And, and, but, but the truth of the matter is, is we want it to be one answer, not a multiple choice. We want it to be correct, right? And we want it to be definitive and we want it to be our answer, because it's, if it's our answer, it says that we were right all along, right? We want people to come on and say, well, you were right all along. We, we like that. You know, we pat ourselves on the back. And, and we want our answer to be the right answer no matter the question. No matter what the question is, we want the answer that gives us confirmation and gives us confidence. And sometimes we don't like answers that are different from what we thought, right? Is that fair to say about all of us? I'm including me in, in that equation. So today as we begin FAQ, I want to ask all of you to have an open mind as we address some of these issues, and, and you, it, today won't be one of those days, but we're coming to those days next week. We're, we're coming to those days. And so I want you to have an open mind, and I want you to not bring your opinions to the table as facts. Is that fair? For, for let's just come and bring our stuff to the table as an opinion, acknowledge it as an opinion, and be willing to say, I didn't know that, or I was wrong about that. Because or, or if, if we can't be open and honest to these questions, we're never going to get good answers. Fair? 
Fair enough. And, and so we're, when we deal with these things, we're not going to present any of them. In fact, we've been praying in such a way that when we present some of these questions and some of these answers, that at the end of the day, it's not a fellowship breaker. And that we can disagree on some of these matters. We, we cannot disagree on Jesus being the only way. We have to agree on that or we're not of the church. And you say, well, I don't agree on that. Well, we've designed a church that you enjoy attending so that you, one day you come to a place where you recognize and realize and bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the only way. And so that's why we take such good care of your children. That's the way we love you like we do. And it's the reason we do all that we do is so that eventually you see the light. And you come to a place where Jesus is not just somebody, but he is your Lord and he is your Savior because he is the hope of the world. And so some of the questions that we're going to deal with are what I call bullseye questions. Now, let me just tell you what I mean by that. They just have one answer. Right? We're looking for one thing. Who's the 16th president of the United States of America? Right? We can answer that. That's a bullseye question. How tall is the Statue of Liberty? We can answer that. Uh, but, but really, most questions are shotgun questions, meaning there can be a lot of answers. And we're just trying to get close uh, to the bullseye. You know, like, what's the best show on TV? You, you, you have an opinion on that, and some of you call it a conviction. But the truth of the matter is, it's an opinion. What car should I buy? You know, we could chime in and 50 people in here would say, well, you should buy and this is why and you should never buy and this is why. But these are just opinion questions and that's true. But you can also ask questions that aren't opinion questions and get a lot of answers uh, to some of those questions. And, and, and the thing is, is you can almost be right no matter what you say, right? What's a good college to attend? Let me just say this on college, by the way. As we talk about money, and I was just thinking about this last week, and I heard Dave Ramsey say this, and he said, sometimes parents, you know, want to take their kids to college, and they put their kids in the car, and they go visit the Votech or the, or the community college or whatever it is that they can afford, and on the way home, they stop by Duke or Harvard, or, or, or whatever. And, and what that's like is taking your kid to get his first car and going to the Chevy dealership and then going to the Hyundai dealership and just on the way home, let's just see what the Mercedes place has. <laughs> Not smart. And, and, and so as you look at this, the, the thing you can be almost right in all of what's a good college to attend? Or, or what should I eat to stay healthy? A thousand opinions in this room on that right now. And they would argue their way and their method and their type of diet or, or way to do that. And, and so the type of answer you give depends on whether it is a bullseye question or it is a shotgun question. Two different kinds of questions. And so you would not use a shotgun to hit a bullseye on a target. You just wouldn't do it, right? That's just lazy and you would destroy the whole target and everything that holds it up. That, that, that there's a difference between a shotgun and say, for example, a bow. And uh, I, I've started duck hunting this year, and, and uh, I, I actually really enjoy it. And uh, I've been with people who know what they're doing, and, and I've been told that, that the duck commander in Oklahoma is Chris Geyser. And uh, he goes to our church. He runs FCA here in North Carolina, I mean North Carolina in, in Tulsa and uh, Oklahoma. And uh, I don't even know if he's ever been, been to North Carolina, but he's a great guy. He took me duck hunting one time. And uh, hopefully he will again. But I've been six times, okay? In, in my first season of duck hunting, I've been six times. And somebody told me to say, and I never bought a bullet. That's not true. <laughs> I have bought some shells and I have contributed some shells. And I bought lunch and dinner for everybody that went both times or all six times. And, and so those staff members that said that, that now looking for another church, they can uh, <laughs> watch this online. And, and, and so, but, 
but when you shoot a duck, I love it. And, and part of the thing I love about it is, is that they fly over and people that know what they're doing are calling them and they circle and they come and they circle and they come back and you got decoys out there and it's just really a sport and it's really fun and it's a beautiful thing to watch this thing play out. But I would never go by myself. I say never, not for a long time. Would I ever go duck hunting by myself? Because I don't know how to call them. It sounds like a gazoo when I blow on that thing. And they just take on off. And, and, and when I, but I thought I was going to make millions of dollars by inventing an electronic duck call because I was going to record Kaiser and then just play it on my iPod <laughs> for the ducks to come in. And apparently that's illegal to do an electronic duck call. You can't do that. You have to, you know, man up and play the sport according to the rules. And, but, but when you shoot a duck with a shotgun, you are aiming at a target, but it's different. But one of my staffers told me this last week, he was watching on TV this duck hunter that hunts ducks with a bow and arrow. You ever done that, Kaiser? No. Anybody in here done that? Yeah, a few people have done that. That's, to, for a beginner, that sounds crazy that you could actually hit a duck with a bow and arrow. And so the difference, if you were shooting a bullseye, you would shoot a bow and arrow. If you're shooting a duck, in my opinion, you would shoot a shotgun. But this guy goes out into the wild on TV, has this show, and he hits ducks with, with a bow and arrow. Now, with a shotgun, you're not trying to hit a postage stamp. Because you would destroy the potion. You're, you're aiming at an object, sure, but not a pinpoint. With a bow and an arrow, you have to hit it perfectly. And uh, well, the other thing I love about duck hunting is that you don't have to be quiet like you do in deer hunting. I'd rather go to a monastery than sit in a, boot, a, a, you know, a tree stand all by myself, not talking to anybody. To me, that is just punishment. But I, 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 I want to talk to people and have a conversation with people. And you don't have to be that quiet because apparently ducks don't have the great ears. They just have good eyesight. So you've got to be still and, and decoyed or camouflaged or whatever they call all that. And, and, and you know, a dog, you've got to have a good dog if, if you're doing it right, and, which I've never been with a good dog yet. Luke, the worship pastor at Midtown, he took his dog with us one time. And I'll say I've never been with a good dog yet. And... and uh, <laughs> Apparently she was. According to Luke, supposedly she was a great duck hunting dog at one time, but she's gotten fat and lazy. And here's what happened. He let her live in the house and he taught her how to fetch a pop from the refrigerator. <laughs> so he put a dish towel on and the dog goes and gets it open and pulls a pop out. And, and, and she's, I've told him because the day we went, she went out to two different ducks and came back without the duck. I think what she realized is she can get praised for getting the pop without getting wet. And so now she looks at it and says, I'm not getting in there. I'll just fall asleep right here beside you. And then you can feed me on the way home. And, and so, but you need a trained one to do it right. But today we're going to answer the first FAQ question. And this is the way I'm wording it. How can I know God's will for my life? It, it came in in a variety of wordings and a variety of ways. But we packaged it all into that one question. How can I know God's will for my life? And I think the bow and arrow analogy is perfect for this because it's how we all feel about God, right? And God's will. That we want to hit the bullseye. But most of us, if we're honest, at best we feel like we're in the neighborhood of the bullseye. And at worst, we feel like we strayed way off from the target. And it's as much a question about our own confidence and our own confirmation as it is a question about the nature of God. And with the will of God, we hope we're on target. At least we hope we're close, but, but we're afraid that at some point in our lives, we miss the whole target altogether right? And we hope that, that we're getting there and that we're on track, but we know at times that we've missed the mark somewhere. 
And, and all of us at one time or another feel like we're groping around in the dark. But that's not what God wants for us. Okay, that's clear in Scripture. He wants us to clearly understand His will for our lives. You see that all throughout the Scripture. Let me show you a couple of them. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Complete knowledge of God's will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Patient endurance is what you need now so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised for you. So it's not whether or not God has a will for you. That's clear. That he does, right? It's really about how we understand his will and how we put his will into action because that can be confusing for all of us at one point or another in our walk with uh, Jesus Christ. And so what people really want to know when they ask the question about God's will is, does God have a perfect step-by-step-by-step-by-step will for our lives? And then we ask, well, if he does, how do I know what it is? And how do I make decisions according to that? For example, how do I know this is the right person uh, for me to marry? How, how would I know that? Is this the right job for me to take? Is this the right business for me to start? Should I change jobs? Should I do that business deal? Should I buy that house? And now we believe that God has a plan for our lives. And, and most of us would agree he has a plan for the big picture of all our lives. In fact, many of us in here, majority of us, and, and today worshiping with us would believe that God has a plan and is interested in even the details of our lives, right? I mean, we, we, most of us would agree on that, but if it's getting those details right, that sometimes scares us because if it's true that God has a plan and he's interested in the details and, and he's interested in every little detail in our life, then does that mean that if we get one detail wrong, that we're out of God's will? And we've left God's plan. That can be scary, right? To, to think that way. But really, what you, when you play that out that way, you're talking about God taking this big puzzle, dumping all the pieces on the table, and expecting us to put all those pieces together without ever looking at the box. And if we get one little piece wrong, then, well, too bad. You shouldn't have married her, right? Not her, not the one. You, you, know, you shouldn't have moved there. You, you shouldn't have done that. You should have turned left instead of right at that juncture. And, and we, we're left to feel that that's the way that it plays out in our lives and that we've left God's will. But that doesn't sound like the God that I know and you know, does it? And that doesn't sound like the God that we read about in this book. Let me ask you this question. <clears throat> Do you believe that God has a perfect will for your life? Or does he just have a preference for the decisions that you and I make? In other words, is there a perfectly plotted blueprint for our destiny that includes this step-by-step-by-step -step -step set of instructions that we must follow? Or do you think what God expects is for us to end up where he wants us to be, but it's up to us to come up with the details and the steps and the, and the path that would get us there? What, which do you believe? And before we answer that question, what we have to understand about the Bible is what the Bible says about God's will. And when you look through scripture, you see the will of God portrayed or expressed in at least two different ways. And the first way is called the moral will of God. The moral will of God. Those are his do's and his don'ts and the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's. For, for instance, Peter says it's God's will for us to obey the ruling authority of the government. 
That's tricky, right? I mean, because when you think through that, you know, what if I don't like the government? What if I don't agree with the government? I went this week to the National Prayer Breakfast in, in uh, Washington, D.C. with President Obama and his wife and 4,000 of his closest friends. And, and, and we sat around these tables and, and sitting next to me at the table, right next to me is the future president of Malawi. And, and, and across from me is my brother-in-law's roommate at the University of Pennsylvania, which is unbelievable. I mean, and, and so, the, I mean, it's just crazy to be in the room with all these people. But the speaker gets up and speaks. And, and uh, I just lost his name. Uh, you remember? What? Carson. Ben Carson? Yeah, Ben Carson. He is the uh, neurological head of the neurology in the pediatric department at Johns Hopkins. Brilliant man, okay? And, and if I'm not mistaken, he's the one that separated the first uh, conjoined uh, Siamese twins, I think. I may be wrong on that fact, but, but he was involved in that process. Brilliant, brilliant man, raised by a, a dad who left his family and a mother who was illiterate. And, and yet he, he now is one of the most brilliant people that... I've ever heard speak. And his speech was amazing, okay? I don't know how much it had to do with prayer. This is the honest truth. But, but it was an amazing speech. But it was politically driven, right? And he clearly stood on something opposite of the president and his wife who were sitting right beside them. And I love the speech. I agreed with everything he said. He talked about the tithe at, at, at the National Prayer Breakfast and, and as an illustration for taxation. And he went through this whole process and clearly the president sat there emotionless through the whole speech. He probably will not be invited back anytime soon. And, 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 but as this played out, listen, you, you wrestle with these questions. Of, okay, well, when I agree with the government, do I obey the government? Do I not obey the But the Bible is pretty clear that we're to get under authority. And 1 Thessalonians, another part of the will of God, the moral will of God, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, this is the moral will of God. God's will is for you to be holy and for you to stay away from all sexual sin. That's another example. A couple of examples of God's moral will. Many, many, many more examples in the Bible. Second, there's a personal will of God. You got the moral will of God and you got the personal will of God. A specific will for your life. Again, the scripture is really clear about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that he was chosen by God to be an apostle. Now, is everyone called to be an apostle? Of course not. But Paul was called to be an apostle, and he said so. And he said it was the will of God for him to be an apostle. So there are specific things and personal things in the will of God, and they can be big things in our lives that are the personal will of God for our lives. So the moral will and the personal will, but it's really a perfect plan that's all detailed out, is it? That, that God has perfectly laid out every detail, or is it that he has a preference for us? A couple of examples in Scripture. His perfect will is for us to obey the government. But does that mean he has a specific will of a person for us to vote for? Or does he just have a preference? See, his perfect will is for us to remain true and faithful to our spouse. But does he have a specific personal will for who we marry? Or does he just have a preference? And if it's true that he just has a preference, can we opt out? of the other part. In other words, can we say, well, I didn't vote for him, so I'm not going to obey him. Or I married the wrong person, so it's okay for me to cheat on her. I should have married someone else. See, either way, we're, we're obligated by the moral will of God on the backside of it that we made the decision and now we walk in it and we follow his moral will, that you stay married to that person and if you think it wasn't God's will, it doesn't remove your obligation to be faithful. 
The moral will of God is easy to find. Listen, that's the easy part in this whole process. You just go to the Word of God and you look at it. We use the Scripture and we use the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it's the personal will of God that seems a little trickier, right? And that's the part where we get a little uneasy and a little confused. And that's where we're going to focus today. How to find the personal will of God. And let me just start with a few ways on how not to find the personal will of God. First of all, don't follow your feelings. You cannot rely on your emotions. Why? Your emotions can be deceitful and then completely off sometimes. It's true you follow the peace in your heart, but sometimes your emotions will lead you astray. I, I went, it's a unique situation to go to a, a, uh, a Bible college. And that's where I went. I went to a small liberal arts Bible college in Arkansas. And, and so there was this weird religious talk all over the campus. And, uh, and if you were raising that, it's just very normal to you. But if you weren't, then it's, it's just a different scenario. And, and the girls, most of the girls there would tell you in conversation, hey, I think God called me to marry a pastor. And, and uh, because most of the men there were called to be pastors. This is weird, right? And I ran from every girl who told me she was called to marry a pastor. I went to the first one and said, no way in Hades, I'm marrying a pastor. <laughs> and, and God brought her around, right? And, and so I like the challenge in that. But, but, and I would have missed it any other way. I mean, I landed the bullseye right there. And, and God's will, I mean, I could not imagine being married to some of the girls I dated. I'd be in jail for murder, I think. <laughs> or they would. And, 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 and so, but, but the, some of the girls in college, I would notice a missionary would come and speak and, and they would speak about Africa and the plight of people in Africa and da, 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 And then all the girls around campus like, God's calling me to Africa, you know? And, and, and then, you know, a month later, the speaker would be from South America and all the girls would change their mind. No, it's not Africa, it's Chile, right? I'm, I'm supposed to say, I like Chile. I like Chile. Let me have a bowl. And, and, and so, but guys, and guys are no, we're not immune to that, right? It's just a little shallower with us that we watch something like Too Fast for You Furious and we think, I, I need to buy a Corvette. I think God's will for me to have a Corvette. And, and the difference between women and men is the, the women, you know, get emotionally off track on something positive and the men get emotionally off track on something selfish. But either way, emotions are a bad barometer of God's will. Barometer, I should say. I'm not on staff at Johns Hopkins. And, and, and so another way to find God's will is to do the open your Bible and point to a verse strategy. I am amazed at what I would call mature believers who resort to that strategy. That they just, I, I need to know your will, God, and they just open their Bible and point. I, I, you may have been here when I told the story about a friend of mine who did, I read about who did that, who he opened the Bible and he pointed and it said, and Judas went out and hung himself. God, I need a better will today. Uh, you know, and he flipped the page and it said, and, and, and what you have read, go and do likewise. <laughs> and he flipped the page, a few pages, he put his finger down and said, and what you do, do quickly. <laughs> it is stupid to play roulette with the word of God. That is not how you find God's will for your life. Anyone done that? I'm at, and, and so listen, you, you, another one is read into everything which we're all prone to when we're looking for God's will in a perfect situation or in a particular scenario, you read into everything. Well, I, you know, I saw the street sign that said Washington Avenue. I think I'm supposed to run for president. <laughs> or the flower on the breakfast table says gold medal flower. Well, maybe I should be in the Olympics. <laughs> That's silly. 
right? But because you, you just read into everything. When we were trying to adopt, remember, and adopted, by the way, our whole ministry to orphan care came out of the FAQ series I did seven years ago. And the first question I read was, how come I've never heard you talk about orphans? And how come I've never heard you talk about orphan care and God's heart for the fatherless? And I was like, wow, this is going to be harder than I thought. And so I sat down and started reading the word and we, we, I preached a message on orphan care, led to a series on orphan care, led to a ministry called Adopted. Getting ready to have our first adopted conference. Seven years into this ministry, March 2nd. For everybody who's ever adopted, thought about adopting, interested in orphan care, or has adopted. All kinds of questions coming from adopted families now. And that's where that series came from. But when we were trying to, we, God convicted us, said, you need to adopt. We didn't realize that the first step in the process, after you feel the call of God to do it, is to pick a country. And quite honestly, we were very uncomfortable with that being the first step in the process of picking a country. Like, I feel like a bigot or a racist picking a country. I don't care. A human. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter where they're from. And, and you know, do you, do you do it domestic or do you do it international? And we're just, but you have to pick. You, you can't just be, hey, the first one that comes available in the world, I'll take. All the rules are different, right? And so you, you have to pick a, a place. And so we're praying about that. Where should we go? And at that point, I was in our karate class. My boys wanted to take karate, and we were in karate, and, and uh, they wanted to do it. And so I did it with them. They were too little to behave. And, and so I went with them. They still want to do it, but I don't. <laughs> I want to shoot ducks. <laughs> but that night in karate, I'd earned my yellow belt and felt like that was as far as I wanted to go, right? Breaking a brick is not one of my goals for my life. But still today, we have the largest karate class in Oklahoma, in the whole state. And they share the gospel. And they charge like five bucks a month or something for the classes. And all these kids are hearing the gospel. We see Muslims come to Christ and other people come through karate. It's amazing what God does through the personal will of God for individuals who are called to karate ministry. But, but that night in that karate class, the two new students or three new students in the class had their gis on, which is the pajamas you wear with the belt around. And they're standing in front of me while we're doing jumping jacks and leg stretches and all that. And across the back of these three gis in big font, this big font said Korea. And so while I'm bending over, stretching my hamstring, I'm thinking, okay, God, it's Korea. <laughs> I'm just confessing that to you. That is the temptation we have is to read into everything at, at that point. And there's the idea that we have that God is playing this game of cosmic hide and seek with us. And, and, and that he writes out his plan in some sort of a code. And his goal is for us to figure out how to crack the code. But often we think God's hiding his will from us, don't we? And, and we think that finding his will is so hard and such a task. And the question is, why is that? Why would it be that way? And I think the answer to that question is rooted in the fact that God is a God of relationships. And I want you to hear me out on this because I think at times God may intentionally be making it tricky or difficult for us to see. Why? Because he wants to be involved in our lives. And he wants us to need him and to depend on him and to relate to him in an intimate way through a relationship that revolves around faith and, and trust. And, and it's in those times of struggle and it's in those times of pressure and of questioning that we end up seeking him more. 
And he draws us closer in those moments. And a lot of times we just want an answer from God, right? Just the facts, God. God, tell me what to do here, left or right, and hurry up. But God's not Wikipedia. He doesn't just give us information and then we're done. He wants a real intimate relationship with us that takes more than five minutes of searching. And he's more interested in you knowing him and, than he is in you knowing information. And he's more interested in drawing you into a relationship and he draws us in through the mystery and the journey of finding his will. He's baited us, if you will, in some ways in that way that it, we cannot know it without knowing him. And he wants us to need him and depend on him. And he provides for us this context for us to learn about him. And it's not knowledge in a vacuum. And he sets the context and he's given us these markers along the way for us to know and decipher and discern his will. Going back to bows and arrows, I, I researched how to shoot a bow and arrow. Ben got a, a bow for, for Christmas, my nine-year-old boy. Which if you know Ben, you could question our wisdom in that decision. <laughs> but there are a few different ways to aim a bow and an arrow and the best way is to use a sight but it's not like the scope on, on a rifle or on a on a uh on a rifle first you have a peephole in the string now ben doesn't have this so and ben can hit the target way more than i can hit the target but the point is is that as i research you pull this bow back and there is a hole in the string that you look through the hole in the string to a sight that is mounted on the side of the shaft of the bow and then you line that hole sight up with the bullseye and you're more apt to hit the bullseye on a regular basis. If you line those markers up with the third marker, you hit the bullseye. At least it helps you hit it every time. And that's the way it plays out. So I want to give you the three markers that you line up in order to know that you're hitting the bullseye of God's will in your lives. And if you line these things up, you can walk in confidence that you're in the will of God. And you will never have to worry about whether or not am I in God's will or not again. And the first marker, I'm calling God's precepts. The precepts are the part of God's word where he gives clear instruction. And they are for all people, right? For all of us, the thou shalt and the moral will of God. Here, here's the principle that I want to show you. God will never tell a person to do something that conflicts with his precepts. He won't. He'll never tell somebody to do something that conflicts with his moral will. He never leads a husband to leave his wife for a more spiritual one. That's not God, right? He, he will never lead you to cheat on your taxes so that you can give more money to the kingdom. Are you tracking with me? He does not lead us outside of his precepts and outside of his moral will. When you and I live in obedience to his precepts, we are consistently in step with God's thoughts and God's ways and God's will. But if you have a difficult time understanding God's personal will for your life, it could be because you are ignoring his precepts and his moral will. The second marker, the one on the shaft of the boat, are God's principles. These are the part of scriptures that lay out truth for us, but they aren't really rules. I want you to think of the precepts as clear commands and the principles as equations, okay? The, the precepts are clear commands. The principles are equations. What, what's an example of a principle in scripture? Sowing and reaping, 
That's a principle in Scripture. What you sow, you will reap. That's not a law and no rule that says you should, you have to sow. It's saying whatever you sow, it's going to reap. It's a principle in, in Scripture. And God's precepts, listen, his precepts are timeless. They are rules for all of eternity. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verse 35, this week in the walk through the word together, devotion to together that we're doing together this week, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Never. His precepts last forever. You can't escape them. You can't avoid them. They are timeless. But his principles are not just timeless. They are timely. And at some point in your decision-making process, they will intersect with a principle in God's word. And sometimes we make a decision and we're trying to make a decision. Is this God's will? Is this God's will? And, and there's no real clear precept in scripture about it. But I promise you, if you know the principles in scripture, that decision will intersect a principle in God's word. And the Bible is full of principles and they are timely for your situation. Now I'm not saying that if you're dealing with a decision between do I get the 40-inch TV or the 55-inch TV, that you go to Hezekiah 40, 55, and, and all of the principles of HD TVs are going to lay out for you in Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But you can find principles in Scripture about how to spend your money and to listen to what the Bible says about itself and the way that it guides us. Psalm 119, the whole psalm, is about the Word of God. And the value of the word of God to our lives. All of, it's the largest uh, chapter of scripture in all the Bible. And it's about the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know which way to walk? You got to get to know God's word. And, and, and some people say, well, you need God's word. Well, read the Bible. It has all the answers. That answer is a little simplistic. In the fact that they're not telling you how to read the Bible and to find the Word of God. If you're wondering what job to take, you don't, you don't turn to the book of Job. <laughs> I've heard that a couple times. It's called Job. And I know it looks like job, but it's Job. I, and I love that, that we have new people that are new to the Word of God and new, you know, a couple of weeks ago I got a, a, a voicemail from somebody saying, Pastor, I've been reading the book Malachi the Italian prophet. <laughs> and he talks about the tithe. And I love that. And I love that we got people that are new and, and looking at it. But, but if you're wondering what job to take or who to marry or what house to buy, you don't just start reading in Genesis and keep reading until God's word says the one with red bricks. That's not how you do it. And that's not how you read the word of God to find the will of God. The Bible is a book of precepts and it's a book of principles. And here's how this works. The better you know the Bible, the better you know how it works. And the better you know the God of the Bible, the better you know his will. And so you read his word and you get to know him better. And, and as you get to know him better, you know what he wants for you. And you know where he's leading you. The third marker is the marker of wisdom. Say wisdom. Children of God who are concerned about the will of God for their lives are also concerned about how they're living their lives. And they're conscientious about what they're doing and the legacy they're leaving and the impression they make on unbelievers. Ephesians 5.15 says, So be careful how you live, not as fools, but like those who are wise. You care about how you live and you want to make an impact on other people's lives, then seek out wisdom. A great question for you to ask. When something lines up with God's precepts and it lines up with God's principles, you ought to ask it all the time. Is this the wise thing for me to do? 
is this the wise thing for me to do? A few days ago, I'm on the phone with a staff member at my house, and I walk out on my porch to have this conversation on the front porch, and I look over at the boys who have the bow and arrow out, and they're shooting the arrow straight up in the air. And Eli comes over to me with a grin from ear to ear. He says, Dad, I think that one went to space. I said, cool, son. Let me just ask you. You think that's the wise thing for you to do? And, and you know, I preached that in the first sermon just like I did there. And in the guest reception, uh, somebody comes in and says, I wonder where he learned that. I said, what do you mean? He said, you told me a story one time when you were a kid that you guys used to go to your neighbor's house whose dad had a shotgun reloading station and you would reload shotgun shells with toilet paper and shoot each other with those shells, aiming shotguns at each other with toilet paper in the load. And not wise. And thank the Lord he let me live. But every time you have to make a decision, God has wisdom waiting for you. And if you're having trouble finding that wisdom and you don't think you're wise enough, good word. James 1 says, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you liberally. You think you don't have it? Ask him. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants his children to walk in wisdom. So you got God's precepts and God's principles and God's wisdom. And when you use these three markers, you know that you are lining yourself up, aiming at the will of God in your life. But, but what if one of the markers is off? Let's say the, the, whole, the whole target would be off. Let, let's say you think it's the wise thing to do, but it doesn't line up with God's precepts. You're in trouble. You're going to miss the whole target. Or, or you think, well, it lines up with his precepts and it lines up with his principles. But it's, wisdom says wait. And wisdom says not yet. Then you're still off target in your life. Now, to help drive this point home, I, I want to illustrate this for you. And this could go really good or really, really bad. And, and, and so I've asked them to line up these three markers with a bullseye. And so the guys are going to come and they're going to line up these three markers right here on this stage. And they're going to set up a bullseye on the backside. And Mike, who is a, uh, the owner of a boat <laughs> and some arrows, is going to try to apply the principle that, that I have laid out for you today in lining up God's precepts you see on the first balloon, God's principles on the second balloon, and wisdom on the third balloon. Now, you see there at the back, there's a target that has a bullseye on it. Now, Mike, come around here if you would. And let me just say to you, that screen behind the target is thousands of dollars. And we don't want to break it or rip it. And, and, uh, but when you line up there, I don't know if you can see that camera shot. You see that camera shot. It's kind of coming from an angle. But from Mike's angle, he can't see the bullseye. Which is exactly how we feel about God's will, right? We can't see God's will. And God's saying, I know. I set it up that way. But if you line up my precepts and you line it up with my principles and you line it up with wisdom and that's how you live your life, you will hit my will. And you will hit a bullseye of my will. So I'm saying a prayer for you that you can hit it. And so go ahead and show us if you would. I don't know if we can do this or not. Uh, can you zoom in on that right there, boys? You see that? No, up here. See my finger? Right there. That is the peephole. You see that? And so when you pull that back, I guess that thing turns mm -hmm. where you can see it. And, and so you look through that. These are the sights. You, this is the 10-yard, 20-yard, 30-yard, 60-yard, something like that, right? Which is what I do when I throw a football. I'm just 
looking guessing. through that site and think guessing. And, and, and so you line that hole up, that hole right there with one of those with the three balloons, right? All right, show us how it's done. Simple, right? Simple. Relax. There's more people in this There's only 6,000 people watching you this morning. $10,000 screen. And a $10,000 screen. That's pretty good. In the first service, he hit the crosshairs. And all the times he practiced it, which we did practice it, okay? In fact, the video they sent me this week while I was in D.C. of him practicing it, it was set up right here. And they were shooting that way. And I thought, not a good idea. That's, <laughs> that lacks a whole lot of wisdom. Next service, we're going to leave that arrow up there and see if he can Robin Hood it. How awesome would that be? 10 million hits on YouTube that would create. When you're shooting a bow and arrow and you stay on target, you have to stay on target if you want to hit it, right? When you want to stay on target in God's will, you have to stay in His Word. And you let His Word speak to you and you let Him fill you with His Word and you let the Word wash you, as Ephesians says, with the water of the Word of God. And it becomes an instinctual thing, hitting the bullseye of God's will. Just like it becomes instinctual for Him with that bow and arrow that He spent so much time with that. He's made a major investment in it. I asked Him how much and, and He told me and He said He almost got a divorce the day He bought it. Because it wasn't in the envelope. you spend time with it and you invest in it and you practice it. That's the same thing in knowing the will of God. You walk in the word of God. As you spend time in his word, it becomes so rooted in you that it's a part of you. In fact, what the scripture says is that God wants to write his word on our hearts. And so when we spend time in the word and we're in it, he begins to write the very word of God on our hearts. But you stay in his presence and you grow in his presence in that intimate relationship with him. And when we spend time in God's presence, we are plugging in to the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God will lead us to the truth of God's will. John 16, Jesus telling us about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives says, and when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all all truth. And, and, and sometimes we think the Holy Spirit, listen, this bothers me so much. And cultural Christianity. That the mindset is, is that the Holy Spirit of God is an object to obtain. If I could just get the Holy Spirit. If I could just get all of the Holy Spirit. If I could just be filled with the Holy Spirit, that I just get more of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Question. Are you more concerned about getting all of the Holy Spirit than you are the Holy Spirit getting all of you? So if he could just get all of me, my issues are all solved. Staying in his presence. And developing that intimate relationship with him to which you're saying, God, I want you to have all of my life. I want you to have 
all of my life. How, how do you find God's will? You find God's will by asking Him to take control of your life and giving Him full control of your life. In, in the words of the great songwriter and theologian, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to ride shotgun and you're going to be in full control and you are sure at that moment to be living out God's will in your life when he is controlling every facet of your life and the ultimate will of God. What is the ultimate will of God for all of our lives? It's to know him in an intimate way. That's the target. But when it comes to hitting that target, we have a poor record. We miss it altogether sometimes. Sometimes we get close. Romans 3.23 says, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the target of God's will. Why? Because we don't obey his precept. We don't employ his principles. And we act foolishly at times. But God doesn't leave us there. In a situation where we've said in our lives, God, I don't need you, and I'm not going to follow you, God, and I'm not going to walk with you. What happens? We're off target. And when we're off target there, we're likely to be off target in every area of our lives. And it's like we're shooting arrows into the sky, hoping that somehow we hit the target. But there's hope for that. And God has provided a way for us who have missed the mark. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin of missing that target is death. A real death in a real place called hell. Separated from God forever and ever. But he says, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He loved you before you knew him. He died for you before you were born. Will you make the decision today to follow him with your life? Let's pray together, all of our environments. Lord, today we pray that you would do what only you can do. And God, I pray you would Forgive us for moments where we think it's about what we do or how we do it or how well we do it. But God, it's always about what you do. And so today I pray in this place that you would do what only you can do. And you would save people. Men and women and boys and girls. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, can I say to you, that is your next step to make him your Lord and, and your Savior, your forgiver, to receive salvation from him. And if you want to do that right where you're seated, right where you're watching online, would you just pray with me? I don't want you just to repeat the words. I want you to pray them. And I want you to talk to God. And if you mean it with all of your heart, would you say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life as my Lord? You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver, my best friend. In the best way that I know how, I surrender all of my life and I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 
And can I just say, if you just prayed that prayer, you want to know wisdom? It's the wisest thing you've ever done. And Lord, I pray for the church, your church, the bride of Christ. And Father, I pray you would advance it and you would grow it and you would help us to walk and depend upon you. And that we would follow you, not just into salvation, but that we would follow you like the hind feet of an animal, following you down the perfect and best pathway for our lives. And as we do that, you will make us salt and light into a world that desperately needs a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And together we all say, amen.